Don't stand by and stare. If it's wrong, it's your affair. Don't be quiet. Make a riot. Be a pain. Be a pain. Be a pain. Shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be polite. Raise your voice and do what's right. Welcome to episode number 256 of the Good Stuff Kids podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mason, and this is the show where we get to know the creators of certified and bona fide good stuff for kids and families. And on today's show, I welcome Alistair Mook. And you heard that song just then. It's called Be a Pain from his brand new record, Be a Pain. And uh, I'll, I'll just frame it like this. Alistair and I had the uh, the first podcast conversation that I had uh, once the, um, the quarantine started. Um, once our time at home really began. Um, and I was moved by his music. I found it powerful. Uh, lots of reasons why, as you'll hear in the interview. And uh, in light of everything that's happening in the world right now, this song, Be a Pain, really jumped out at me for for real reasons. Real reasons about what's happening in our world. Real reasons that I couldn't possibly understand except to know that it's... And I'll speak only for myself. It's my responsibility as a parent to teach my kids right from wrong and to make the world as right as I can make it. And I find that this song, Be a Pain by Alistair Mook, is a way to talk to my kids about what's going on in the world. Okay, I think that's I think that's it. I think that's it. So uh, enjoy this conversation with Alistair Mook. He's he's an awesome awesome singer songwriter. Tons of great music, and there's not much else to say. It's a heavy time. It's a, there's heavy things happening all around us all the time. This is a fun interview, but it's a heavy interview, and it's a real interview, and it's a joyful interview, and it captured us both of us, Alistair and myself at this real time of uncertainty that is spread to now. And it's even more uncertain. And uh, what can I say? Give someone you love a hug that you are not socially distancing from. And check out Alistair Mook. Here he is. These are, these are interesting times that we're in here these days in 2020. But I'm really pumped because I get to talk to my new friend, Alistair Mook, today for the Good Stuff Kids podcast. Alistair, how are you doing? I'm okay, Mike. How are you doing? I am also okay. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started rolling just about life and where things are. And you're saying you're doing a little homeschooling with your kids, and I'm primarily refereeing with my kids. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's set the scene a little bit. Where Where are you located in the world? I'm just outside Boston. Uh, Melrose, Massachusetts. I grew up in New York, but we've been—I've been up in the Boston area for most of my musical career. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. so you've you've had a a great career, um, and this is all leading up to a new record that's coming out in a little bit, and we'll get to that sort of. We're going to start yeah. at the beginning and work our way back. But what's a little bit of your your musical journey? You know, where did you start? How did you know you loved music? And then maybe take yeah. us and, and we'll, we'll fill in some stuff along the way. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I was a, kind of a weird anachronistic kid. I, I listened to old stuff. I was never really up on 
pop music. I had my favorites, but I usually didn't know what the bands were that sang them. But, you know, back then, we used to put mixtapes in and wait for the radio to play a song that we liked. So, but I never caught the name of the band, so I never knew what they were. But my my uh, dad was a folk a folk music fan, kind of an old school folk music fan, and introduced me to the Weavers and then Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger, um, of course Peter Paul and Mary, and some of the stuff from the sixties too. Um, and I liked some of it. I and not others of it, but he took me when I was probably in sixth grade, somewhere around there. He took me to see Arlo Guthrie, Woody's son and Pete Seeger in concert. And it was a, it was a life changing kind of experience for me. Um, just the way that those guys, the tradition, the way they talked about history, um, but also the the connection between them and the audience. You know, I had been to some some pop concerts and stuff. I had seen Brian Adams in concert, you know, and it's a show. It's show business. But this was something else. It wasn't show business. It was a community. It, um, and people knew the songs and sang along. And I, I don't know, as a sixth grader, you would think I would be put off by the whole experience. But I was totally pulled in mm. and i found myself wanting to do that i loved the way they spoke and people listened but then they seemed to have this sort of back and forth with the audience too i just wanted to be part of it yeah i think that um I i've seen arlo guthrie before i never got a chance to see pete seeger but you know, something that I do a lot musically is, is singing with groups. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it is certainly, he is one of the first and probably one of the best ever at making music a real communal experience. And it's so interesting that you picked up on that as a, as a sixth grader. Do you remember any of the songs in particular that, uh, that were just that, that like really stuck with you at that moment? I know it's a tricky one, but well, I mean, they probably did. Uh, for kids who are listening who don't know some of these names, Woody Woody Guthrie, who's in some people would call kind of the godfather of American modern folk music, he, his most famous song is This Land is Your Land. And they probably did that song mm -hmm. that day. And it was probably one of the few songs that I really knew well. But I'm, you know, and I saw them many times afterwards, so it's hard to remember which they did when. But, you know, one of the things they did with that song was sing all the verses that got left out, which is something that I do now because it's uh -huh. a far more interesting song than than the version that most of us learn in school. Mm -hmm. Those first two versions, the 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 verses get get more interesting as as the song goes and kind of turn the idea around in circles and look at you know if this land belongs to you and me what does that mean it, the verses that usually get sung say that you know it belongs to us so we get to enjoy it and it talks about the beauty of the country but some of those verses that get left out talk about responsibility and the other side of owning stuff mm -hmm. and these days you know uh, so much of what i learned from those guys as a kid, and then the kind of wormhole that I went down of learning the music of Lead Belly and Mississippi John Hurt, and and then more modern songwriters like John Prine, one of my very favorite songwriters. Um, 
But all of that stuff, you know, you soak up stuff as a kid and as a teenager in a way that you never really do again. So I find that all of the music that I do now and the teaching and stuff, you know, so much of what I teach kids is stuff that I learned around that age. Mm-hmm. And it, so we're going to we're going to get back to that. And I think because I think that you do a lot of teaching through music and it's it's less of the like ABC's head, shoulders, knees and toes. But you're teaching like real uh, interesting kinds of issue based stuff. And I only say stuff because my vocabulary is limited, but, <laughs> but you know, the, but real, real issue based songs and real, you know, in, in that folk tradition, you know, mm-hmm. protest music isn't necessarily the right word, but there's elements of uh, empowering and empowerment that go through your music. So I, I yeah. just, I'm guessing that when you were coming up through high school and college, you weren't thinking that you were going to you know, be where you are today, which is okay. Right. We're all on this journey. Mm -hmm. We're all on a life's journey, but were you musically involved through those times of your life? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I played cello as a kid. I started in second grade and played it through the end of high school, but, um, and I liked it, but I didn't have a passion for it. Uh, and it became for me sort of an obligation, something that I did, but I remember I even, I mean, I got good enough that I was part of a group that played at Carnegie hall, but I was in the very, very back, you know? (laughs) Um, but as I sat there, you know, towards the end of high school, just recovering from chicken pox, by the way. So I still was covered in scabs. It was Uh a surreal experience. Uh I sat there, uh, playing the cello badly, with this group, youth symphony group. And all I could think was, I want to stand up in the middle and I want to sing my own songs and I want to talk, talk (laughs) to the audience. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a turning point and it wasn't until I didn't even start playing guitar until the very end of high school. And, but really the motivation was to write songs. That's what I was interested in. So I, when I started playing guitar, it was in order to be able to start writing songs, lots of really, really bad songs. Um, and then, it's, it's important to have that, that, that like that's, real, realistic you know understanding. Right. And, and people need to know that kids and adults need to know that that's where everybody starts. We, you start with anything. It's a learning curve. So when you start, you're going to be bad at it and you stick at it and you get better at it. Um, so I, I then spent a lot of my college years, um, you know, pretending to be a student, but really learning how to be a songwriter and doing everything I could in college to try to, because it was, I didn't go to a school that had a great sort of music program, but um, or at least not for the stuff I was interested in, but I took every opportunity I had. Um, so l- like I took a, a poetry class um, and I used that as an opportunity to learn about songwriting, you know, and I learned a lot in that class about economy of language and how to edit. That's such an important part of all writing, right? Is to not kind of be content with your first version, but to get back in there and really work at it. And and that's, Um, yeah. And conceptually that's tough. And I think that people, when they hear a, a piece of music, a song specifically, they're like, oh, well, it was born this way. And maybe mm-hmm. don't understand that there's 
drafts on drafts on drafts on lyrics on drafts on lyrics on chord changes on little tweaks here and there that that go into it so it's it's cool that you are able to uh to verbalize you know that that conceptually yeah well and also you know some songs do feel like they're just born but those songs that feel like they're just born usually are born on the fertilizer of many years of learning how to do it so Mm -hmm. the editing process kind of comes before the writing you've already learned how to in the first draft how to cut some of the cut cut some of the chaff out of there yeah exactly very interesting cool um so so how did you get involved with with singing with families Mm -hmm. well i spent um 15 years just just doing grown-up music i was a touring singer songwriter you know uh i and i had i would say middling success with it i sort of i I did pretty well with the critics. I had some good press and I even had, um, you know, I had a record company in Europe and, and some booking agents there and did quite a bit of traveling there, but I could never put enough butts in the seats to actually pay the bills. Um, and then my kids were born. Um, my wife and I had twins, um, who are now 13. So they were born in 2008 and that was kind of a uh what did i say i always get screwed this up 2006 they were born um i don't know why i've always mixed that up <laughs> but they were, I really i'll tell you why know. because you're you're a parent and everything <laughs> is especially now you've got nothing but the benefit of the doubt because everything's blending together <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh, my brain's kind of pasty um uh, and that was kind of a turning point. I needed to figure out at that point how to make more of a kind of grown-up career. And ironically, a more grown-up career for me ended up being doing more stuff with kids. Because I, I had always worked with kids. That mm-hmm. that was sort of the one other job besides being a musician that I enjoyed. Was I, I spent years working in after-school programs. I did some tutoring. I like kids, you know. I've, I've always... Um, I relate to kids better than I do to adults. Honestly, I, I like the lack of pretense. Um, uh, it just, it, from an early age it or an early sort of adult age, it was a satisfying career thing for me to, to work with kids. Um, but I always kind of kept my music separate. And I think, I, I really think that part of me knew that someday I might very well end up exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. And I tried to put it off as long as I could because, you know, I wanted to be Bob Dylan. I wanted to be Bruce Springsteen. I um, I had those visions in my head. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of my heroes, the songwriter heroes, the people who I really, really like deep down, the people who really informed my music and who I love, all of them wrote songs for kids and adults. Hmm. Uh, you know, all those old guys, Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly, Mississippi John Hurt, all of those guys wrote music for kids. Elizabeth Cotton, one of my favorite songwriters. Um, and I think back then when they were making music in the 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, uh, there weren't as many hard lines between different styles of music. You kind of, if you were a musician, you were a musician for everybody, and it uh, it made it just made good sense to write music for kids too. 
um, and so what, what I ended up doing was I, after my kids were born, I thought, honestly, I thought, I don't know if I can continue to be a musician, uh, and make this a career, but I, I had always wanted to make a children's album. Um, I just always felt like it was something I wanted to do. I thought it was something I might be pretty good at, um, or at least I wanted to try it. And, uh, I, I put out a first album for kids called a cow says mook and nice. uh that nice. was it kind of it was like starting over again because mm-hmm. i didn't know any of the people or i had, i didn't know how to start you know but uh i put the album out and i started to meet some people who do this and some people were nice enough to talk to me about um how they were doing it um, Ronnie Arbo is a good friend of mine was doing a kid's album at the same time. Vanessa Trian. There are a bunch of people around Boston, Ben Rudnick, mm-hmm. and they let me pick their brains and talk to them. Uh, and I started to figure it out and ultimately it opened up a whole new career path for me. Yeah. And you know, so you've been putting out records for families since if I'm not mistaken about 2009 and there's quite, and to have that back catalog is really, really cool. And I think that, um, what's interesting to me is, you know, if you look back at at the, the first two records, there's, there's songs that, that, you know, I think it's fairly safe to say, and please don't be offended, but like, you seem to have really found your platform, found your voice right around like 2013, right? Singing our way through song, singing our way through, uh-huh. right? That record, songs right. for the world's bravest kids. So I, I, I don't want to give all of this away because I think people should go and and check this out. But I, I really would like to hear, um, just about like one or two of the songs. Um, you know, first is when I get bald, where I watch the video and. You know, again, it's like no spoilers, but you got to watch that video to to really see what's going on. But what what inspired that piece of music and that song and that concept and video? Yeah, well, um, so yeah, like you say, I put out two records um, that were, um, you know, my my kids' records or my family records uh, grew up with my kids, so when they were little uh mm-hmm. you know there are songs on there about cows and belly buttons and fish um but as they grew up so did my music because they were always my muses which i think is pretty common for people who write music for for younger folks um but then yeah we had a life-changing experience in in 2000 um 2011 one of my twins was diagnosed with cancer with leukemia and that was a whole you know i i mean we could spend the whole podcast talking about what that was and how we what we learned from it and how we came together as a family but the upshot is that we ended up writing songs together in the hospital and uh, which was not something I had planned. None of it was anything I had planned, but it kind of happened organically. And what it, it was sort of magical because it reconnected me after many years of doing this. It reconnected me to the power of music, why I wanted to do this in the first place. It, it reminded me of, of how, of what, you know, what it is that makes music different from everything else. And seeing her, 
seeing her respond and and kind of be lifted up in the process and the empowerment that the words you used before the empowerment of it which reconnected to me also all of this i've always been interested in social justice music um i've always loved it i've taught it for years to kids and more and more as my own writing has gone on i've moved more in the direction of writing about social justice issues but um but I always found it hard as a songwriter. It's very hard to write about political issues well, I think. Um, mm, not a lot definitely. of people do it well. It yeah. took me years to feel, you know, I, I've always tried. And I always did a lot of Woody Guthrie material in my shows for both kids and adults. But um, I found it really hard. But I think that that Singing Our Way Through album, you know, not only did it transform me as a father and a human being and all that experience but it also it also taught me things about music that kind of connected dots in a way that i i needed to have connected for me and one of the things that i learned is that there's that there's nothing you can't write about for kids or for anybody if you can find uh, the right in you know you need yeah. to find an opening particularly for kids um you know, when I brought, we ended up writing a bunch of songs and also collecting songs. Like I wanted to include Woody, Woody Guthrie's Hard Traveling on the song, and I wrote a verse for it. Um, and I ended up singing that song with the Okie Dokie Brothers on there. Elizabeth Mitchell sang with us on a song. Mm -hmm. sure. um, but when I brought that initial group of songs, or, or when I originally talked to my friend Anand Nayak, who's produced records with me for many years, um, and told him, listen, Cleo and I have been writing songs in the hospital, and I, I think I've got an album here. He told me later that his first, you know, he didn't say it, but his his thought at the time was, that's crazy. There's no way to make a kid's album about cancer or around cancer. You know, how can that work? Um, and I would have felt the same way it was only going through that experience that I learned about things. You know, you, when you think about hospitals and kids, it's very sad feeling, but when you live through it, you start to see the small, the subtler things. You get to see the more joyful moments um, in between when kids are feeling better and there is joy and there is um, resilience. And also there's this empowerment issue, right? For Cleo, right. Right. Cleo in particular with cancer, there's the issue of going, of being bald, which if kids are listening, that's something that happens because of some of the medicine. And cancer is a very rare disease for, for kids to get, um, and you can't catch it. But Cleo was unlucky and, and got it. And she did get bald because of the medicine. Um, and it, I realized in that experience that, that for, for a kid to be bald, in particular a girl, it 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 sort of it's it's like a lot of empowerment issues with social justice. At some point, you have to say, "I am who I am, and I'm proud of myself, and I'm not going to let other people make me feel ashamed." Um, and that was kind of how we wrote, and and that album and those songs then have kind of informed everything that I've done since then. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to have. Um been able to have the perspective that you had, right? The perspective to see the, to see the positive in this, what must've been incredibly challenging experience for, 
for your whole family and to document it in a way. And it's really um, like authenticity is is critical in any kind of Mm -hmm. art, right? In any kind of music. But to share your authentic experience in that way is really uh, pretty pretty moving and pretty powerful and and i think that you you know saying the these kinds of like social justice issues like we're not gonna get into it too much but because mm-hmm. we're gonna move to the to the new record here but um right. you know on, on the 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 follow-up all kinds of you and me there's a song called i am malala right and that mm-hmm. you know i i will be honest i don't know a ton about her except to know that she is this like figure that we look to as this social justice crusader who stood in the face of you know horrible horrible things and came out in in a way that we can um we can hear her voice and we can hear what she's teaching us and and really use it to make a positive impact on the world so Mm -hmm. So you have a new record coming out and uh, I, I don't want to get, I, w- I would love for you in your words, just tell us a little bit about this new record and, and, and in, in particular the, the title track and what we need to know. Okay. Well, I'll back up a little bit to say that in addition to, to performing for kids and the still performing for adults that I do, one of the things along the way that I started to do more and more of was teaching in schools and, the main form of that teaching is assembly programs. Um, and these are really, uh, most of these programs are really history programs that are kind of couched in music. So um, I play the songs of social justice movements for kids, you know, f- starting with labor rights and union movements, sing some Woody Guthrie songs and songs like The Union Made and talk about what a union is. And then we move to civil rights and we talk about the songs that were sung, especially in those early Southern years of, of civil rights by Dr. King and others all. And there are so many we shall overcome. And um, if you miss me from the back of the bus and, um, and then we touch on the anti-war movement of the sixties and sing a little Dylan Um and I have, I, over the years, these programs for kids have expanded so that I have different versions for different age groups that are more developmentally appropriate to their ages. Um, but I've always wanted to push those programs to be, you know, to, to make that history touch current events, to sort of bring it up to date. Um, and one of the stumbling blocks I faced along the way was that some movements for social change have been more musical than others, right? So civil rights was a very musical movement for change. Um, but some other movements um, either are less musical or they're not musical in a way that I can kind of access easily. So, for example, the LGBTQ movement historically has had music and there's movement music of empowerment in that movement, too. But you know, that type of music, disco from the 60s or from the 70s and 80s and and other forms wasn't music that I could kind of pull off uh, in an authentic way. Uh, and one of the things that I've realized along the way was that one way to talk about more movements and bring more of that into this program was for me to write the songs myself. And then I could write about people in all kinds of movements in the way that is still authentic to me because it's my style of music. Right. Um, and, and 
Be a Pain was the first song that I wrote for this album, Be a Pain, or it's the first one that really opened. I I had been thinking for a long time that I wanted to write an album that was about, um, that was political in some way in a kind of empowering way for kids to know that there's a history of getting involved and that being involved is important. And that would, that would uh, teach kids about some of the great, uh, heroes of of our country, but again, it took it actually took me several years to figure out the end, to figure out where the window was for how I could talk about this with kids in a way that um, was both meaningful but also not um, kind of sad. That that could be uplifting at the same time. Some of what we're experiencing right now, not just during this COVID experience, but over the last several years, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's depressing. That's, that's um, things that a lot of us who care about social justice and personal freedom and um, are despair about because we don't feel like um, civil rights have been upheld in recent years. And uh, the be a pain song, kind of broke the whole thing open for me because I figured out that I could kind of talk about historical figures in a way that was a little cheeky, that was fun to kids, that kids don't get to hear very often that they should be a pain. We're always telling them, <laughs> adults are always telling kids to stop being a pain. But um, uh, civil rights hero John Lewis mm -hmm. called... called um, civil disobedience, good trouble. He, he coined this term good trouble, which means, you know, sometimes you need to get in there and you need to mix things up and you need to take to the streets when there's things that you know are wrong uh, and you need to cause a little good trouble. So that's, that's what I wanted to write about. And, and be a pain became the, the term for it. And that, that particular song featured, um, four people historically. I started with somebody who would be known by kids. I started with Rosa Parks and what she did on the bus in Montgomery. But then I moved to Harvey Milk, um, an early gay rights leader and somebody who ran for office in San Francisco, who's a name that's usually not known by kids. Um, and then I moved to Billie Jean King, mm -hmm. um, a great tennis player, but also a great uh, feminist uh somebody who stood up for women's rights and women's liberation and equal pay in the workplace. And I ended with talking about kids from Parkland without going into a lot of details, um, but talking about that these were young people who stood up for what they believed in. And that arc of those four verses kind of then set the scene for what the rest of the album was, which is kind of exploring. We, we actually... The, the one song on there that, that we redid was that song you mentioned, I Am Malala, uh, oh, which I had cool. put on my previous album, which was largely about gender um, and gender and orientation stuff, that, that previous album. But the Malala song fits so well on here that we did a new, different-sounding version. And I wrote a song about Pete Seeger. And, um, you know, the, the history that the album kind of explores who are social justice warriors have been and who they still are and you know the role that kids can still play in all of this now yeah and and thank you for uh for setting the sort of sort of the the, the foundation for what we can look forward to when this record comes out um it's also you know interesting 
I think what what we're what we say without saying it is that it's such an interesting political time, and for kids, they're not right. We we hear this all the time, but truly, they are not dumb, and truly, they hear for something as simple as like this ongoing Democratic candidate who's going to be the Democratic nominee for president. My kids were super tuned in, hyper tuned in to who. I like who I wanted it to be and why, and then having the, the opening. Right. And I think that this sounds like this whole record, right. And, and the, the approach that you take with these, um, these school assemblies is just opening the door for conversation. It's opening the door to, to look at these things in our world in a, in a way that is, appropriate for kids hopefully that makes sense i feel like that was a little bit of a leap from for me talking about no that's that's exactly right and you know one of the things that i learned to do on that singer way through album was to sort of plant seeds which is actually the name of one of the songs on this album too but the idea that songs don't have to uh give you all the answers that you you can meet the listener halfway sometimes you can just ask questions um you know and and lay some groundwork. I think one of the things that makes family music really special is um, that it can be the basis for kids and parents to discuss things. Um, you know, sometimes it can open doors to conversations to talk about stuff. And part of what I wanted to do in this album was just to leave some breadcrumbs around too. You know, I couldn't go into great depths. I, you know, I wrote a whole song about Pete Seeger. Um, I think he's a pretty important person, <laughs> deserves his own song. And I wanted to write about him. It was, it was right around the time it was 100th birthday that I wrote it. But there's a lot of other names that go by in the songs um, that, you know, I can only give a passing mention to. But in leaving those names in there, um, and knowing what I've learned over the years about how kids listen to records and music, you know, kids tend to latch on to stuff. So if they like it and if they get pulled in by the sound, they tend to listen a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. they tend to learn those lyrics. And um, I wanted to put some names in there and some concepts that they might not know, but they might afterwards say to mom or dad, uh, who's that person that, that he mentioned in the song or or even better go look it up and right. go find out because i right. i know that i've learned a lot of the history that i've learned has come to me in that way you know i for years i because i'm interested in old folk music and stuff i would hear songs about this guy joe hill and finally i mean it took me till into adulthood but finally i thought i really need to learn who this guy was who's joe hill and went and figured it out and you know, that sometimes music can do that in a way that essay writing or other things can't is that it, it, you know, it can just plant little seeds in your brain. And sometimes it takes years for those seeds to germinate. And you finally go, what? I want to go find out what that thing was that person was singing about. Yeah, absolutely. So this new record sounds incredible. Can't wait to hear it. It comes out, I believe, April 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, which is 
uh, about 10 days. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what day it is right now. So maybe 10 or 11 <laughs> days from, from today, from when we're recording this and um, mm-hmm. really looking forward to hearing it. So Alistair, how can we, Thanks. how can we um, stay, stay up to date on everything that's going on with you or, or see what's up with social media? I know that you're doing some Facebook live kinds of things and just point us yeah. in those kinds of directions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the the easiest place to find out about stuff is on my website, MOOC Music, M-O-O-C-K Music.com. Um, but yeah, in the middle of all of this staying at home, washing your hands stuff that we all need to be doing right now, I've, like a lot of musicians, I've been putting, bringing my circus act on online. <laughs> so I've been doing um, a lot of stuff. My, my Facebook music page is, uh, Alistair Mook music. And, um, I've put some stuff up on, on my YouTube channel too. The the good thing about my name is that there's, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. I'm the only Alistair Mook in the world. So <laughs> if you, if you Google me and if you even get the spelling close, you'll probably find me pop up and you can find out where I'm, what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, Alistair, thank you so much for everything in the the way in which you approach your music so thoughtfully. Um, it's uh, great, you know, at a time like this, and it's hard to not, it's hard to separate what's happening currently from uh, just the the big picture of the world, but I think it's a good time for this record, and it was a very good time to talk to you. So thank you for your time, and thank you for being open and sharing so much of your uh, songwriting history and the inspiration that you've gotten and then turned around and put out into the world so that we can find that inspiration too. Well, thank you, Mike. And thanks for your thoughtful questions. It's, it's really fun to talk to you. I want to thank Alistair Mook for that really thoughtful, really insightful, really honest, really open conversation. And I want to now play his song, Be a Pain. And I want to encourage everyone to do what they can. And if that's writing a Facebook post because you're upset, then that's what it is. If it's donating money to a worthy cause, that's what it is. If it's going out and being a part of a protest, that's what it is. But let's do something. Let's be a pain. Something that's wrong, raise your hand and say that's wrong. Point it out and name that thing by its name. Don't stand by and stare. If it's wrong, it's your affair. Don't be quiet, make a riot, be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. Ignore the crowd and go against the grain. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do us right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. When Rosa Parks sat on that bus, she chose to make a fuss. She chose to break the rules and take the blame. Her choice to sit and fight helped to bring on civil rights. Because one strong woman chose to be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. If they say you have to move, say I'll remain. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do us right. 
me a pain, me a pain, me a pain. Harvey Milky chose to run for the council board and won, even though folks said you can't because you're gay. One brave LGBTQ elected leader ran and knew you can change things if you choose to be a pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. Tell them I won't let you make me feel ashamed. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right. Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain. Tennis star named Billie Jean told the world she had a dream that men and women would be paid the same. She refused to hit that ball till there was equal pay for all. She was a king because she was a royal pain. Be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain. If they refuse to pay, refuse to play the game. Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain Kids from Parkland led the fight for something they all knew was right They said it's time for us to finally make a change If adults can't compromise, we must go march for our lives They spoke out and led the charge, they all were pains be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain When you're faced with laws you know are just insane Don't be polite, raise your voice and do what's right Be a pain, be a pain, be a pain Oh, be a pain, be a pain, shout about it and complain Ignore the crowd and go against the grain Stuff.